So I looked up some numbers on population statistics. It's very exciting. There's seven plus billion people in the world. The United States alone has 327 million people. That's just, these numbers are so big, it's hard to get your head around that, right? It's just a lot of people. Virginia, six or seven million people um, in just in, in our state. And then you keep getting smaller, the metro Richmond area, like 1.2 million-ish people. Uh, the city of Richmond on the last census, I think it was about 210,000 people just in the, in the center of Richmond. Um, and as I look at those numbers, I think, man, that's just, there's just a lot of people out there. They're just everywhere. I don't know if you've noticed. There's people all over the place. Uh, and you just, and, and at Kroger um, in Carytown on a Saturday, all of them are here uh, at, at a soccer game, at your school, uh, at work. There's just a lot of people out there. And so you would think that building relationships would be fairly easy because like your odds are good. There's just a lot of people out there to meet and to be in relationship with. But here's what uh, I have felt over the years, and I'm wondering if you've felt this. Here's, here's the question that I have asked, and maybe you've asked this question yourself. Here's the deal. With so many people in the world, why am I so lonely? Why am I so lonely? You may have felt that. And the truth is, you may have felt that if you're single, and you also may have felt that if you're married. There are married people that feel very alone and very lonely even within that relationship. We all long for these deep relationships. I read an article a couple years ago that I just loved. It was written by a, um, a guy at the Boston Globe. And the article was talking about uh, that the greatest health risk to men, middle-aged men, is not um, obesity. It is loneliness. And I thought, oh, that's a really interesting article. And I read that. It was really challenging to me. And, and I want to read to you a little bit about how this, article, how this article started. So listen to this. Let's start with the moment I realized I was already a loser, which was just after I was more or less told that I was destined to become one. I'd been summoned to an editor's office at the Globe magazine with the old, we have a story we think you'd be perfect for. That is how editors talk when they're about to con you into doing something that you don't want to do. Here was the pitch. We want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. Excuse me? I have plenty of friends. Are you calling me a loser? You are. The editor told me there was all sorts of evidence out there about how men, as they age, let their close friendships lapse, and that, the fact, and that fact can cause all sorts of problems and have a terrible impact on their health. I told the editor I'd think about it. That is how reporters talk when they're trying to get out of something they don't want to do. As I walked back to my desk in my newsroom, a distance of maybe 100 yards, I quickly took stock of my life to try to prove to myself that I was not, in fact, perfect for this story. First of all, there was my buddy Mark. We went to high school together, and I still talk to him all the time, and we hang out all the... Wait, how often do we actually hang out? Maybe four or five times a year? And then there was my other best friend from high school, Rory, and I genuinely could not remember the last time I'd seen him. Had it already been a year? Entirely possible. There were all those other good friends who feel as if they're still in my lives because we keep tabs on one another via social media. But as I ran down the list of those I'd consider real, true, lifelong friends, I realized that it had been years since I'd seen many of them, even decades for a few. By the time I got back to my desk, I realized that I was indeed perfect for this story, not because I was unusual in any way, but because my story is very, very typical. Now, here's what I've discovered 
Because that resonated with me and it resonated with many men that I've talked to, but it's not just true for men. Um, yes, women have more friends on, on the average. They have like four friends. Men have like 0.8 friends. Uh, so that there, is, there is something there. But I think this is a, a real problem that a lot of people feel alone and they struggle to connect. It's a loneliness problem. The scripture says in Genesis 2, it's not good for man to be alone. And God primarily gives marriage as a way for that. But there are other pieces to God's cure for loneliness and relationships. And it's important because we have, the average American has 300 Facebook friends, but only two people that they could count as real friends, which is down three times by, from 25 years ago. Uh, the American Sociological Review says that a quarter of, of Americans claim that they have zero friends. Why is that true? Why do we have zero friends? Why, what's going on? Well, I think there are several main reasons. I want to list them out here for you. Four main reasons why uh, people no longer are, are, are struggling with friendships. Let me put them up, there, up on the screen. Number one, people are working more. We're just working long hours. We're busy. We're stressed. We got so much work going on. We don't have time to make friendships outside of work. In fact, a lot of people, the work, the friendships that they have are people they work with, which sometimes that's good and sometimes not great, right? So people are working more, less margin for friendships. Number two, people are moving more frequently. If you're just going to get up and uproot, why do I want to invest in a relationship with you? Why would you want to invest in one with me? We know this is going to be over in like two years or something when you move again, and that is happening a lot in our culture. Number three, people are getting divorced more often. Divorce rate is, you know, fairly high, um, and that becomes a complicated thing. People who have been divorced tell me that it is not just when you get a divorce, you split up, you know, okay, who gets the sofa, who gets the TV, who gets, who gets the bed or whatever. You also and sometimes end up splitting up the friend groups. And a lot of times what happens is people who are friends with you as a couple can't decide whose side they're on in the divorce. And so they end up being friends with neither of you because it's so awkward. And that further isolates people who are going through a rough time. Number four, people are talking more online and less in person. We have all these likes and, and followers, and we have all these sort of virtual relationships, but we have somehow lost the art of having real relationships, and it gets complicated. I get it. Online, you manage your image. In person, it's a lot harder to do, and then you, you ever meet somebody, you run into them, and like something significant happened, and they post it on social media, and you didn't know because you didn't see it in their feed, or your feed, it didn't come up or whatever, and then you meet them in real life, and they think you should know a thing that you don't know, and it's just awkward. Like, have you ever, ever had that weird reality of our, of our modern life happen to you? It's, it's difficult to develop relationships um, in the real world. In, in part because of what social media has done to us. Uh, a study in the University of Copenhagen, they did a study of 1,100 people, and they had 1,100 people, they had half of that group give up social media for a week. And at the end of that week, they found that those people who gave up social media had a higher life satisfaction, and they had a higher view of themselves. Another study showed a direct correlation with 19 to 32-year-olds in their usage of social media and their rate of depression. They were more depressed the more social media they used. We are designed for relationship. And a lot of you are saying, I, I know we're designed for relationship, but, but do you want to know people or you just want to kind of know about people? Do you want to be in actual real relationship with people or do you just want to kind of look at them from a distance? So the goal of the series that we're starting today, we're starting a new series called Instimacy, and the goal is not to get you off social media. 
I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, maybe that would be a, a step for you to take. Um, but the goal, really, of this series is to help us all have healthy friendships because there's a, a, a great need for it. You feel it. I feel it. Um, how do we get real intimacy in an Instagram culture? You know, I think when we hear the word intimacy, um, it, it, it too often conjures up sort of a physical image of like, oh, I'm going to be physically close. We're going to be intimate, right? Um, and, and certainly that is a, a meaning of the word. But really, intimacy, when we talk about that, we're talking about emotional closeness. Int- intimacy means emotional closeness. And so this series is about how we can become emotionally close with people. Now, that brings up a lot of questions because you don't want to be emotionally close with everybody. Like, that's not healthy. You, you, you can't do that. So how do you know who are the people to be emotionally close to? How do, you, how do you choose those people? How can you be in a healthy relationship where people don't walk on you or you don't walk all over them? Like, how do you, how do you navigate that? Um, uh, should you ever end a relationship? What happens when things go horribly wrong? Should you end a relationship? And if so, how do you do it? How do you unfriend someone in real life? Um, if the relationship gets broken, how do you repair it and build it back up? Like, what, what needs to be done there? And so to, to look at that, we're going to look at some wisdom from the Scripture. And, and as you look through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, there's some, there's some stuff written about friendship. And I want to dial into, as a kind of an overarching theme for this whole series, I want to dial into something Solomon wrote in Proverbs thousands of years ago. Proverbs 17, 17, let's put it on the screen. It says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, it's not actually making a distinction between friend and brother, like they're different things. This, this is the same thing. A brother is just another way of saying a friend. And here's what Solomon's saying. Uh, you've got a, if you've got a friend, they're going to love you all the time, and they're going to stick with you in those moments of adversity. We would say people who stick with you through thick and thin. In fact, the, the idea of that is loyalty, Right? And I think Americans really value loyalty. I think as a culture, we believe in it, and we think, man, I'm going I'm to stick with this person. In fact, one of the ways we would say that is we would say, like, um, we would say of our friendships, we would say, hey, um, if you call me in the middle of the night needing help to, to dispose of a body, I'll help you. Like, I will, I'm your friend who will dispose of a body with you in the middle of the night. And so we think of that as loyalty. I just want to add, though, in, in this moment, as we think about our boundaries and all that, if a friend is calling you to dispose of a body in the middle of the night, you should call the police at that moment. They're not your friend anymore. Uh, you have crossed the line that shouldn't have been crossed. They're committing felonies, and, and you should report that, okay? So that's not loyalty. That's, that's crazy. That's stupid. Don't do that, okay? Probably shouldn't need to be told that, but we really get into loyalty in, in our culture, right? So, um, so anyway, so the idea, though, that's in there, this idea of loyalty is, is a good one. Um, and because, you know, here's the truth of you, and it's the truth of me. When things go wrong in our lives, I, I don't need someone just to comment that they're praying for me online on Facebook or Instagram or something. Like, I, I want people to pray for me, and that's good. But when I'm looking for a friend, I'm looking for someone who will actually show up and be with me. Through, through the hard stuff. I need someone to be with me. That shows loyalty. That shows they were born for adversity. When, when it thing, things get hard, you find out who your real friends are, right? I wonder if Solomon, who wrote this, 
was thinking of his father. Solomon's father was David, and one of the qualities you can say about David is that he was a very loyal friend. In fact, I want to read a scripture to you in a minute, but I want to set it up with this. Solomon, or David um, was going to be king of Israel, and the current king was Saul, and Saul did not like David. So there was all this jealousy between Saul and David. There's all this struggle going on. And Saul set out to kill David on, on multiple occasions. And so it was, it was a bad scene. Now, the weird thing is, David became friends with Saul's son, who's Jonathan. David and Jonathan were tight. They were really good friends, and they had just a, a great relationship. Well, eventually, as Saul's trying to hunt down and kill David, Saul dies and Jonathan dies. And David takes over as king of Israel. And that's a fine thing. Um, here he is. He steps up as king of Israel. Well, at some point as king, and it's recorded in 2 Samuel 9 that I'm going to read to you in a moment, David asks, he says, okay, are there any descendants left of, of Jonathan, who, who was his friend, Saul's, Saul's son? Are there any descendants left? And his advisor said, well, there's this one guy, Mephibosheth is his name. It's a weird name, Mephibosheth. If I can get through this without butchering that name, it's going to be impressive. So Mephibosheth uh, is Jonathan's son, and he was dropped as a child, and so he had a limp, so he had a bad leg. Um, And so they go out and find him, and they bring him to David. David's like, who are the descendants left of Jonathan? They bring him in, and Mephibosheth walks into the king's palace to meet with David, and he probably thinks, this guy's going to cut my head off. Because in the ancient world, when a king took over, one popular or common thing that they would do is kill all of the other people that could be a potential heir to the throne outside of their own family line. So it would make sense if he was like, all right, I'm going to kill Mephibosheth. Even though, um, and, and, and also with Mephibosheth, he, as he walks into David's throne room, he knows his grandfather, Saul, was trying to kill David. So he knows there's some bad blood there in, the, in between these families. And he walks in and David talks to him. And, and at that moment, Mephibosheth could have lost his life. But instead, listen to what David says to him in 2 Samuel 9. Verse 7, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David, out of his love and loyalty for his best friend, Jonathan, creates this incredible space for Jonathan's son, always. and says, you're going to be fine. You will always be taken care of because I loved your father so much because there was a good relationship there. There's a loyalty there. And here's the truth. We all want somebody like that in our lives, don't we? We all want a David. We all want that person who's with us no matter what, who's with us in all of that hard stuff. But how do we, how do we get there? How do we get friends like that? Here's the truth. We have to be a friend like that. Pastor Andy Stanley, you may have uh, seen his stuff. We use his starting point material here. Uh, You may have seen sermons, messages that he's done. He has a way, and he talks about dating. So he has a way of talking about dating, uh, this line that's always kind of stuck with me. Listen to what he says about, about dating and finding someone. He says, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And when I first read that, I was like, that's great. Become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Because if you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or they're, they're like so awesome, the, the question you might not want to ask is, why would they want you? 
Like, if they're so amazing, why do they want you unless you are doing the work on you to become the kind of person that when you meet them, they go, oh, you, I, you're who I've been looking for. And you'll be like, of course I'm who you're looking for because I've been working on becoming the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. And you go, like, this works. Like, that, that, that's a great idea. I think, and if, you're, and if you're single, maybe you should, like, take a picture of the screen or something, or you're like, yeah, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to remember. It's a good thing to live that way. But I would also say this. I think that is not only true for dating. I think that's true for friendship. If you're going to um, have great relationships, it's not just because you stumbled upon them or you happen to be around a pool of good friend quality, great, great quality friend candidates or something like that. Um, there's something in us where you're going to have to initiate and go, I need to become the person uh, I need to be something. I need to be a great friend in order to have great friends. And I think you can do that in, in two ways. Number one, you can initiate. You can initiate with relationships. I meet so many people who wish they had great relationships, but they are unwilling to initiate. You see, it wasn't that hard through a lot of school, right? In middle school, although middle school has its own social navigation you have to do, but for most of your life, you are, if you think about it, up through college, you are forced into relationship, into proximity with people who are all your age, which is so unlike the way the rest of your life will be. But there you are, kind of churned out by the school system in batches by age, and they just like crank you out of the, the machine, right? And you are with people who are your age most of the time from elementary school up through, if you go to college, up through college, right? That's fine. That's great. You're with those people, and it makes it easier to make friendships because you're around people. Naturally, you're all going through this thing together, and you're around people who are your age. But then you graduate from that, and you move into the working world, and then you start meeting people of all different ages that you don't have the most natural affinity with necessarily, who are in different life stages, who come from very different places, who didn't go to your college, and didn't, you know, and you meet all these different people, and it becomes um, a harder thing. And so you have to initiate. You have to step up. So a lot of times what people do is you join a sports league, and you, you're like, I'll play kickball. I don't even like kickball, you know, and you go do that. And then you get a hobby. You, you join a, 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 the church. Um, you, you get involved in a group. Um, but you have to step up and initiate if you're going to build those relationships. First John 3 says this, little, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What is John telling us? Guys, it's not enough to just say you want the thing and say you, you're going to love people. You actually have to show it in the way that you live your life. We have to put action to our words. Let's not just say we want good friends. Let's show it by, by owning our growth and owning our relationships and, and initiating in that. A lot of times people say like, oh, man, no one invited me out. Man, I wanted to hang out, but no one invited me. It's like, come on, why don't you do the inviting then? Like, you reach out. Don't, don't tell me no one invited you out. Like, you reach out. It'd be like, hey, do you want to hang out? I mean, don't be a stalker, but you could be like, do you want to hang out? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to hang out? And then they'll be like, no, you're freaking me out. Like, stop it, you know? Like, Okay, it can go too far, but maybe you got to take the step to initiate. Um, here's a couple ideas, uh, ways to initiate. Maybe a way you can initiate is inviting friends to or, or, or joining a small group. So we do small groups at this church. They're just wrapping up now. Starting the summer, we're going to have summer of fun events going on all summer, ways to connect and meet people around, you know, hiking or sports or food or games or whatever, just stuff to do all summer. We'll do summer Bible studies here through the book of Genesis. We're going to be doing some stuff throughout the week, um, different men's groups, women's groups, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we'll have that stuff going on, and maybe you need to initiate by joining and go, I'm going to take a step and join that. 
Or if you have a friend, say, hey, I don't want to go into this group as a stranger. Why don't you just come with me? And you take the step forward and you, you sign up and you, you show up and say, I'm going to do that. Maybe that's, that's a step for you. Maybe you could meet your neighbor. You know, you live near someone. Bake cookies and bring it to your neighbor and say, hey, I, I, I feel bad about this, but I don't really know your name. What's your name? Because I guarantee you they don't know your name either, and they're not going to get, bring you cookies unless they're in this room right now and they heard me say bring cookies, in which case they might. But everybody else probably won't. I don't care if they're gluten intolerant. Just give them the cookies and be like, thank you, and this is great, and I'm glad to meet you, and like whatever, right? Just, and and build, build, take a step out, initiate. Maybe you need to initiate with a friend that you have and say, hey, like, here's some things I'm struggling with. Will you hold me accountable to this? Which accountability has the potential to drive your relationship uh, deeper. Um, maybe you initiate with a coworker and initiate spiritual conversation like we talked about last week and say, hey, like, let me tell you about something that's important in, in my life. Um, maybe you need to initiate by building relationships here, not in the place where you used to live because you don't live there anymore. How about diving in here and now? Maybe you need to initiate by you, you hang out with a friend once and you go, hey, this is fun. We had a good time. Let's do this monthly and I will organize it so that we have something to do and we can make it consistent. But, but take that step to, to reach out. So that's number one. Uh, number two, something that helps us to be a great friend is to listen. You see, we tend to value people that we can vent to. Um, and we go like, man, I'm just going to... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vent all my stuff. And the truth is you can't vent to everybody, right? I can't unload all my stuff on everybody. Some people are going to scold me. Some people are going to be not emotionally stable enough to handle what I'm laying on them. Some people are going to like post whatever I say on social media or something like that. Like you don't want to vent to everybody. But, but, but there is some value in having someone that you can talk to. Um, in the scripture, uh, what the scripture teaches is not that the value is in someone who vents. Um, and in fact, we, we never say that. We never say, he's such, a, he's such a good friend, he vents to me all the time. What we say is, he's such a good friend, he listens. She listens. They're, they're a good listener, right? And the scripture says that the value is in listening well to other people. There's wisdom in many counselors, and, and it says in scripture, listen, my son, to my wisdom, uh, in the Old Testament, wounds from a friend can be trusted, it tells us in Proverbs. The wisdom in Scripture is found from fearing the Lord and listening to the wisdom of others. That's it. So if someone is a good friend, you listen to their wisdom. You listen to their counsel, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, but you keep open ears and you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with someone in this and I'm going to listen. So don't just tell me who you can vent to when you talk about friendships. Uh, half the time when we're venting, it's probably gossip anyway because we're just like sinning, right? We're just saying like, I really want to really just say this terrible thing and I want someone to hear it and I'm going to call it venting because that sounds like quasi-therapeutic when in the reality is what we're doing is gossiping and that's not necessarily a good thing. Don't just tell me if we're talking about friends, don't just tell me who you can vent to. Tell me who you vent to who then turns around and challenges you and you listen, so you say, oh, this thing's going on, and your friend says, you should probably delete that person's contact from your phone. And then you're like, I guess I will, and then I'm done. Or you go, oh, man, this terrible thing happens, and your friend says to you, you know, sounds like you need to forgive that person. And then you actually do it. You listen to the person. That builds a relationship. Um, that, that, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of power in that. 
I'm not saying find friends who are going to run your life. I'm saying find friends who occasionally suggest how to run your life, and sometimes you listen to it, like you should actually dial in there. Proverbs 17, 17, again, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The, the kind of friend that's described there, um, there's a humility there. They're willing to listen. They're willing to sit with you in, in your pain. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. When, they, when friends listen when the, and they're worth listening to, that, that builds up a, a friendship there. I was thinking about in the Old Testament, the guy Job, maybe you've heard of Job, kind of historically famous guy who lost everything. His, his family dies, his, 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 all his wealth is taken away, he gets sores all over his body, he just goes from having it all to having nothing, and he's just there, sore and miserable, and his wife's there, or whatever, and um, most of the book of Job, if you read it, it describes him losing everything in the first chapter, um, and at the very end of the book, there's this conversation he has with God, which is mostly God telling him what's up, which is really interesting, but in the middle, for 30 plus chapters of the book, Job's friends show up and hang out with him while he's in pain. And it's really interesting if you read it, when they show up, they don't say anything. They show up and they sit there and listen to him silently for a week. So things are so bad, his friends showed up and were like, we're just going to sit here and listen. Those are some good friends. We've lost something there. We've lost that. In fact, when they open their mouths and actually give them advice, it's not even that good of advice. Because if it was us, that's a shorter book, right? Because it's us, we don't sit there for a week. We show up and like almost every man I know and a lot of women as well, we show up and we'd be like, oh, that's your problem? You lost everything? Here's how we're going to fix it. Don't worry. You're going to get all of this back and we're going to go do this. And let's sign you up for this and you should join a club and you should like whatever. Like we would try to fix the problem immediately and, and we would short circuit the process of you just sit there, show up and shut up. We miss that part. And there's something so valuable to that. And I was, I was talking to, I was talking, just, I wasn't venting. I was just talking about something going on in my life this morning. I was talking to another guy here in church. And he made one statement, one small comment that says, basically that comment said to me, he really hears what I'm saying. He listens. He gets it. Not like, oh, I've been there too. I got that too. That happened to me one time. And let me tell you my story about when that happened to me. It wasn't like that at all. It's just him acknowledging that he sees me there and heard me. And that stuff is huge for people. Show up and shut up. Just listen. That's the kind of friends you want to have, right? People who will listen. That's the kind, and if you want to have those kind of friends, that's the kind of friend you and I have to be. It's a powerful thing. Finally, let me give you one last idea. Jesus um, points out love. And he doesn't say that the highest form of love in the world is, I mean, if you think about, if you were to, in our culture, what is the greatest love you can experience in this life? You would, we would either say it's love between a spouse, spouses, or we would say something like it's the love of a mother and her child or something like that. We would say that is the highest, deepest love in the world. That's not what Jesus says. Listen to Jesus Speak about this in John 15, 13. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Wait, it doesn't say family. It doesn't say your kids. It doesn't say your dog. It doesn't say your spouse. It doesn't say any of that stuff. No. Jesus says there's nothing greater than sacrificial love expressed. You lay down your life. Yeah, I'll take a bullet for you, whatever, for friends, for those people you chose. For, there's something incredibly powerful about that. It's not romantic. It's not, you know, kin. It's not, you know, we share DNA or anything like that. It is a friendship. And, and, and there's something incredibly strong there. Jesus demonstrates that kind of love for us. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me put that in the context of this series. The scripture is telling us, while we were being bad friends, Jesus initiated for us. He reached out to us. He loved us. When we were blowing it, when we were not good, when we were not doing right, he reached out and built relationship with us. And that's powerful. Do you know what this means? It means you and I don't have to clean ourselves up in order to come to God. It wasn't about that. He didn't build a relationship based on how clean we are. And that's good news because we blow it. Maybe you feel like you blew it last night. You blew it this week. You've blown it this month already. Maybe you feel that way. And the good news is God is still God. Jesus is Jesus. The grace of God is available for us that you don't have to clean this thing up in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. In order to be friends with God, he starts that thing out and reaches out towards us. He initiates with, with us. And it's powerful. And so we're going to celebrate communion as a church. And when we take communion, the bread and juice that represents the body and blood of Christ, I don't want you to do it in a somber way today. I want it to be a celebration. I don't want you to think like, oh, I'm so horrible or whatever. Like, yes, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. But here's the thing. Um, I want you to celebrate the friendship that you have in Jesus, that he, that he has initiated and built a relationship with you, that he loves you that much and, and cares for you. And, um, I think that's a, a, a powerful thing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the celebration that we're going to take here in communion that we remember your body and blood in the bread and juice, and that we, we celebrate that while we were still sinners, while we were the bad friends, you reached out to us and provided a way to be in relationship with you. Um, thank you, Lord, for that. Um, and we, we, we celebrate and thank you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.